Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, ho, ho. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for the buccaneer, the privateer of Ridiculous History, super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Yo, ho, ho. (laughs) And a bottle of rum or something. They loved rum. They did. It's a little sugary for my taste. I don't know. I'm not a rum. I'm not a rum. Caribbean. Yeah, that's true. I, I I do like a tiki drink, though. I really like a tiki drink. And a lot of those do contain rum, but it's not like required. And it's mixed with so many fruit juices. And there's this presentation, the Akutu oh, yeah. Mall. There's a great tiki bar that we always try to go to when we're in L.A. And we can. Uh, tiki Thai. Yeah, we or go tiki to tea. we oh, go to we go to this tiki bar uh, whenever we have time. We're in town, and it's a little place, but they serve these amazing drinks. And you have to be really careful with those too, man, because I do. I could drink like one, and then I think it's time to eat trash street food and go to bed. Well, which is easy to do in LA. Um, but also, I think tiki tea or tiki tai is like in the pantheon of like great American tiki bars. Yeah. I think they invented some drink there some form of corpse reviver or whatever the but, zombie maybe uh, it was i mean i, I again yeah, I, can't I don't think it was that. that robert lamb of stuff yes. to blow your mind is the guy that turned us on to the spot in the first place but it's super cool uh if you're ever there it's also right by the scientology um uh like studio back lot like it's, yeah. like it's like scientology just sort of bought a lesser like studio it has the yeah. gates and everything and it's got all these billboards for their propaganda stuff but we don't want to get sued by the church of scientology so let's talk about pirates and 
Yeah. Also, uh, also, we were very respectful when we got two or three cocktails deep and mm-hmm. ran around and had a bootleg photo shoot in front of the church. So thank you. We didn't hop the gate fully. We just we sort of peeked, peeked through. Yeah. Which is fine. Which is totally fine. I'm I'm Ben. You're Noel. And you're right. We're talking pirates. There we go. When most people today in the West think of historical pirates, not modern day pirates, which are definitely a thing, we kind of think in terms of larger than life fiction, Long John Silver's, not the restaurant. I I still don't know anyone who goes to that restaurant. I don't know how they're open. I do have one near my house. Uh, I do not go. It's it's like there's a Long John Silver and a Red Lobster, sort of the last bastions of like fast food seafood. You know oh, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then Captain D's. I don't know if that's still around. Uh, it's pronounced Captain. Just uh, it's, oh, like, that... it's like crunch. Oh, okay. You know? okay. Maybe it's still around. Yeah. Maybe I'm misconstruing my, my Captain right. versus Captains. Nice. Yeah. Long John Silver's um, and Cap- Captain D's, I think, famously. Not great. Um, but I think they're part of one of the, or at least Long John Silver is part of one of those big hospitality groups that's like owns like a bunch of other fast food restaurants. Uh, you will sometimes see a combination Long John Silver's and uh, Dairy Queen or whatever. Tires. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. This is, um, it's Yum Brands. Yum Brands who own so much stuff. Uh, that's that's exactly what you're talking about, Noel. They they they're the same folks who own Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell, and uh, like hundreds of other things. Uh, then Log John Silver's, weirdly enough, uh, you know, maybe we should do story fast food origin stories in a later episode. Uh, we're gonna get to the pirates. We're getting there with this segue. Long John Silver's, the restaurant in the U.S., is named after a character, a pirate in. Um, a beautiful novel called Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. And when we when we think about this, when we think about Pirates in the West, we think about things like Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean or that ride at Disney, Pirates of the Caribbean. And they're always... Or Pirates of the Pancreas. Or Pirates of the Pancreas from... Rick it's Rick's little project. There. Don't insult the Pirates of the Pancreas. He gets very offended. Oh, that's true. That's true. He's put a lot of energy into that one. And who are we to call someone's creative baby ugly? Uh, and they're real pirates. They're not all like whitewashed like, uh, you know, Disney pirates are. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say the next line because it is not <laughs> culturally acceptable. So, uh, so, Noel, when you and I were talking about this one... Uh, we knew it might end up being a two-parter. We're going to see how it goes. But what do you think of when you hear the word pirate, like historical pirates, not modern-day Somali pirates? Yeah, I mean, I think of uh, what we were sort of joking about at the top of the show. I think of peg legs and parrots and, you know, rum and and, and body rhymes and, and, and sword fights, walk the plank, cap and hook, all that kind of stuff. But also, I do think of like a crew you know, like like a, like a like a like a captain in charge of a crew, and I, mean, I guess modern day pirates like uh, that that will perhaps uh, hijack ships, cargo ships. I mean, it really was a lot of that. You know, uh, uh, basically heists on the on the high seas, right? Yeah, a hundred percent nailed it. These comedic takes on pirates in fiction. These romanticized takes, they can be a lot of fun, but parts of those tropes don't line up with real-world pirates. Today, we're asking whether pirates, these tremendously anti-authoritarian criminals, uh, whether they 
actually made a government of their own. You see this referenced in video games. You see this referenced in fiction and novels and films. To answer this question, we have to look at something called the golden age of piracy. Depending yes. on who, who you ask, this is from like the mid-1600s golden to 1730. Yeah, golden to who. Uh, it's funny you say that because uh, like so many historical ages, the name golden age of piracy doesn't become a thing until well after the actual age has passed. Yeah, and most importantly, Ben, uh, it's a combination John, Long John Silvers and Taco Bell, which does exist. There's a whole Reddit thread devoted to this wondrous thing that exists, apparently, <laughs> upon the face of God's green earth. Um, I would try their quesadillas. I don't know. If, I don't know if Long John Silver. What you do is you go to the Long John Silver's, get you some fish fingers, then go over to Taco Bell, order you a quesadilla, and then just kind of combine them, you know, by hand. Right. So this time, this, this golden age, yeah, this Halcyon era, is more complicated than we might initially assume, especially if we're only watching Disney movies about it. Not all of the people we call pirates originally wanted to be criminals, and most didn't have a weird, like, specific. Our matey pirate accent. They came from all parts of Europe and different parts of the world. Uh, they sounded like where they grew up. And sometimes they got, sometimes, a lot of times people didn't want to be pirates. Their ship mutinied because the navies at the time really sucked, uh, or they ended up getting kidnapped themselves and joining up because they needed a job. Guys, is, is the providence of the pirate accent, is this sort of like, it seems vaguely Irish or something or vaguely European, but is it just, does it sort of just morph due to isolation? Is that sort of the idea that's implied with these bizarro pirate drawls? Yeah, a lot of a lot of times it does sound like it might be some kind of Irish. It's it's really it's a, a caricature of a dialect called West Country English. Okay. And so it come the reason we have this come about is because of those works of fiction. Treasure Island comes out in 1934 and then Captain Blood starring Errol Flynn. Um it's strange because we we, we see it's kind of like how Santa Claus as we know it was made by the Coca-Cola company. The pirate accent is a work of entertainment. Oh, 100%. Um, and you bring up a really great point in this outline, Ben. Uh, it's important to establish when we're talking about this golden age of piracy, uh, sometimes we're talking about the wrong thing. Pirate is not the same uh, as a privateer. Oh, a pri that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's establish some terms up front because what allowed this, this profession to flourish was the fact that it was technically on the right side of the law and could be considered just that, a profession. Yeah, it's really sketchy. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of a modern analogy, dude. It's kind of like um, bounty hunters, which are technically, you know, they're on the right side of the law. They bend the law pretty often. Not all pirates are created equal. Like you said, Noel, uh, there were several distinct names for groups that sailed the high seas. And we don't have to get into all the differences and details, nuts and bolts of buccaneer versus pirate and so on or Corsair, et cetera. Uh, but we do need to know the difference between privateer and pirate. Pirate is the most general term for outlaws on the high seas, law and order, maritime crimes. It comes from a Greek word, 
the, uh, pirates, which means brigand. And it was since like the 1300s, pirate has been a term used for anyone who's committing crimes on the ocean. And usually the folks you're thinking of when we think of pirates, they're bandits on the water. They're violent. They intimidate people. They raid ships at sea or, you know, Viking style, they raid coastal settlements. Isn't that funny, too, how the word then became associated with like bootlegging stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like pirating music or whatever, or like piracy in terms of like copyright infringement. I wonder when that started to kind of come into being. And uh, if it was just sort of like an accident, maybe like a term that sort of took off and got popular, or if there is some etymological crossover there. I bet there's also a PR spin. Because remember, uh, the three of us are of the generation where you would go to the movies once upon a time and you'd see those PSAs that were like, you wouldn't download a car, would you? Stop piracy. Uh, I, I think it, it helped the powers that be to compare people downloading stuff illegally to pirates raiding ships. But it does look as well like the term piracy began to be used uh, in its more current form due to some court cases, um, the, some some old court cases that began like in the uh, in the 18th century. Piracy was being used uh, to describe the act of infringing on one's copyright. Nice. Yeah. The idea being theft, and we'll get to why that rings true uh, a little later in our show today. All right. Privateers make this excellent point. Privateers are pirates with a cosign, I would call them. They get these letters of mark, kind of like uh, it's similar to the patent letters or letters of patent we talked mm -hmm. about in snake oil, right? So uh, a country's authorities in the midst of the big colonial powers all trying to take possession of the land across the Atlantic, these big colonial powers will issue commissions to privately owned vessels and they'll say, hey, if you see a ship from another country or someone who doesn't work for us trying to move goods, blood, and treasure, then go get them, sick them. And uh, you've got our approval to do that. They were private armies. They were mercenary armies often. Whenever there was a war, a lot of letters of Mark went out, and a lot of privateers went to uh, seek their fortune. But just like our pal Jesse James, you know, when the war ends and your only skill set is waging war, sometimes you just keep doing it on the other side of the law. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. 
right? It's, oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. That's exactly right. Once maybe some of the more legitimate uh, prospects dried up, a lot of these folks just kind of went and, and forged their own path. Good example is 1691, a guy named Thomas II, uh, who was born into a British colony in what is today Rhode Island, uh, took one of those charges that you mentioned, Ben, one of these commissions from the governor of Bermuda uh, for a privateering vessel, uh, a voyage to Africa. Uh, to take over a French fort that was located on the Gambia River. However, instead of following instructions and attacking the French fort as, as instructed, um, he and his crew decided to sail to the Indian Ocean and plundered a ship, uh, a Mughal ship, which was, that would have been what, like an Indian trading vessel? Yes. Like probably loaded down with spices and, and all kinds of valuable uh, trade goods. Yeah, a lot of stuff that you just couldn't get in Europe. So this guy went rogue right away. He yeah. he didn't like wait for like he didn't do the job and then be like, you know what? I think I could do better striking out on my own. He just like was like, screw this. I'm I'm, I'm doing the I'm gonna knock over this this uh, spice ship. 
I like to say knockover too. Yeah, he was just like, guys, who's going to stop us? The the king isn't here on the boat. It's us, bros. Let's hurt people. Uh, so privateers were- Do crimes. Right, let's do crimes. So privateers were mercenaries, and the key difference, again, was just the approval of a colonial power. Oh, there's one other big difference. Unlike out-and-out pirates, privateers are expected to share their loot with their patron government. So you can go- uh, you can go rob and pillage a Spanish ship, but you have to go back to the nearest English governor and give them their cut. This is organized crime. Oh, absolutely. And for like a colonizing force like the British government, this sort of is a way of extending their naval reach, right? Like mm-hmm. and, and, and keeping uh, those that maybe would seek to uh, overturn their supremacy at bay, right? Like just because, you know, by, by promising treasure and, and glory and all that stuff, you essentially not having to pay these people because they're getting paid with what they get. And then you're taking your cut, your tribute, but they're also like wreaking havoc on all these foreign vessels, right? Yeah, exactly. This is the, um, this becomes a revenue stream for these colonial powers. Uh, For instance, in 1568, a privateer we may know named Francis Drake takes part in a big, Excellent rapper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Before he got into rap, uh, even before Degrassi, he was a privateer and he was in the Battle of San Juan de Ulua uh, in modern day Mexico. And he fought the Spanish. And even though he did get he did get whooped, uh, when he came back, he had over 40,000 British pounds worth of gold and silver. This was great news for the crown. These people were called Elizabeth's sea dogs for a while because, like you said, they were kind of an off-the-books army and they got sent around not just to rob resources from other colonial powers, but they also got sent around because the monarchy wanted to make money off the slave trade. Yikes. And this was like early days of the slave trade. I mean, at least in terms of, uh, you know, a global uh, slave trade. So, I mean, these sea dogs and uh, England, um, if you can imagine, uh, really were kind of the layers of the groundwork for this whole, you know, despicable um, industry that would inevitably take the world by storm. A hundred percent, man. And what we're saying is it was a chaotic time. The colonial powers were functioning like large international criminal syndicates. France, Spain, England, they're making and breaking alliances. They're all trying to grab a piece of what they call the new world. And yeah, spoiler, no, they didn't ask the people who already lived there for their opinions. Absolutely not. And and Ben, I think it's something that we've all seen like in, you know, uh, whether it be sword and sorcery type shows or maybe historical dramas, the idea of you don't steal from certain folks, right? right like right. like if someone is under the protection of a certain government, you know, and then you maybe do go rogue uh, and, and steal from the wrong crew because of the whole criminal nature of the enterprise, let's just call it what it is, you could then be coming home to uh, a real problem, having a price on your head. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that happens throughout history. And okay, so most of the pirate fiction we mentioned earlier, it's based on this one period of time, just like so many great Western films are based on- Golden Age. Yeah, on a, based on a relatively short period of time called the Wild West. Uh, like we said, Golden Age of Piracy refers to 
you'll get some differing opinions, but like anywhere from the mid 1600s to the 1730s, pirates were roaming the ocean everywhere. In general, there are like three distinct periods. The buccaneers from 1650 to 1680, those guys were more focused in attacking settlements and ports. And then the second age would be something called the pirate round. It's a round because if you look at a map, it's a predictable trade route that follows maritime uh, commerce. So whenever, wherever these ships piled with goods are going, where places like the East India Company go, the pirates follow in their wake, sometimes with the approval of other countries, other colonial powers. Then we also have, you know, an, an era that comes right after the War of Spanish Succession, which, um, you know, it, it ends up leaving a ton of Anglo-American sailors and these privateers looking for work. Uh, so they've got, you know, we talked about that skill set, right? Like Jesse James and all that. They know how to sail, but they don't have an army to sail for. They don't have the cosign of a government. So they're like not going to starve. They're going to ply their trade, right? Um, so in a lot, in a lot of ways, these governments made their own monsters, didn't they? You know what I mean? They very much did. Yeah. yeah. So these folks are now like, you know what? To the Caribbean, uh, where we will become the titular pirates of said Caribbean uh, or the Indian Ocean uh, or the West African coast. Yeah. And during each of these three periods, piracy in the Caribbean rises when conditions are right and it fizzles out when those conditions change. So what made the golden age so golden for piracy? First, you need a lot of unemployed, able-bodied young men, people who are out of work, they're desperate to survive. You need a clear network of shipping and commerce, right? You need prey for predators to exist. These pirates, they need to have guns and ships and weapons. Most importantly, there has to be little to no rule of law. And I want to give a shout out to Eleanor Evans over a history extra who uh, informed a lot of what we know about the difference between privateers and pirates. Yeah, and then just to your point about the Wild West, that lack of rule of law is always what really set things off in some of these like border towns and, you know, some of these kind of frontier towns. You might have yourself a sheriff, you know, um, but that's not going to be nearly enough uh, in the face of like all of the lawlessness that came with that period. And with this, we're talking about the open seas, man. Like, how can you police the open seas without like just a, de a constantly deployed naval force. And it's just yeah. all of these cross forces and cross interests bashing against one another during this time. It really was, to, you know, to your point, a perfect storm of badassery and yeah. bad, just frankly, bad attitudes, Ben. Frankly, bad attitudes, Noel, agreed. Uh, colonial empires were expanding across the globe, and they were often fighting any number of other people, you know, native empires, who said, hey, we've got our own thing going on, stay away, uh, other rival European powers. So it's no surprise that they weren't able to watch every maritime falling sparrow. Uh, they were unable to combat or even find or know about every single pirate ship uh, interdicting valuable shipments, resource, and treasure. Think about it. There are compelling reasons for you to be a pirate. You got no laws you have to follow from a king, although you do have pirate code, which we'll talk about. You got no overbearing nobles. You might win the lottery and get tons of gold. Uh, you were also, if you were a pirate, 
you were primarily after gold, silver, and jewels. Plunder. But, yeah, plunder, just so. But you couldn't, uh, you wouldn't find that often in big, big amounts. So a lot of times, pirates would take the cargo of a ship, whatever that resource might be, you know, cinnamon, peppercorns, beer, rum, sure, rum. And uh, then you would you would steal that stuff and you would take it to resell it somewhere where you knew they weren't going to squeal on you to the authorities. If you are working for a Navy at this time, you might have been kidnapped. You might have been press ganged, right? Or um, a term that didn't age well, people would say sometimes, is Shanghai. Just like, uh, what, what's that thing where you got people drunk to fix the vote? Oh, what was that called? Oh, boy. Cooping. 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 There it is. Hang, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like cooping. Uh, these unscrupulous recruiters would get people drunk, and then they would have those folks wake up on, you know, like a Royal Navy ship. Ha <laughs> that was a wild Saturday. You work for us now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Um, it's true. Yeah. And then, and then you've been, you found a really great point on worldhistory.org that a lot of these, uh, you know, maybe workaday pirates would just gamble away their money, you know, gamble away their plunder, their ill-gotten gains. Uh, but then you had some that actually kind of created like a network, you know, that like had a much more forward-thinking mindset and invested their doubloons correctly and uh, invested in their own fleet of ships. And that's when you get the pirates of, of lore, like your Long John Silver type. I know he wasn't real, but like a Blackbeard. You know, that guy was real. Right. And he commanded like a, a giant crew and was very organized. And it wasn't just chaos, rape, and pillagery and on the high seas. It was uh, an enterprise. Mm -hmm. It very much was. And let's talk a little bit about their gold. The most sought-after loot, as we said, was precious gems, silver, and gold, because these could be sold to a dealer in a, in a port that was low-key, cool with pirates, pirate haven. But coins were even better because there was no authority to check whether or not this was dirty money. You didn't you have to... Down. Yeah, you didn't have to launder money. You could just show up with coins. And at this time, you know, there are a lot of different sorts of denominations around. And yeah, you're right. No, you could just melt them down if you wanted. But we're talking about like pieces of eight, silver ducats, silver pesos, Spanish yeah. doubloons. There were no like serial numbers or any kind of way of, of tracking them back to the bank that they came from. There was no ink cartridge that would explode when you like undid the band on them or whatever. There was know? a guy at the back of the tavern or brothel who would like bite a piece of gold. I love right? that. Yeah. yeah. With his already golden tooth. That's um, terrifying to me. It, the it metal is. in your mouth. Oh, oh gosh. Boy. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. It's funny. Um, it, it just becomes such a, like, a fun, you know, cliche little trope. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the golden age of piracy does likely refer to the gold that was a-flowing mm, as well, yeah. you know, because that stuff was uh, really easy to move. It could really easily be bought and sold. Um, but also, let's not forget, like, that mogul shipping vessel— that things like spices, things like silk, things that were rare and that you couldn't get everywhere. And there became, why do you think they call it the Silk Road, man? Mm -hmm. The Pirate Bay, you know? Like mm -hmm. all of this stuff was this underground black market that sprang up, you know, around the, the types of stuff that these pirates were hauling in. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. And most of the time, again, they weren't finding these holy grails of plunder. They were hitting up ships for things like tobacco, sugar, rum, brandy, wine, you know, barrels of fur and, and lumber, uh, and, and even flour. They would still flour because this uh, this operation could also supply the ship with much-needed resources. Sometimes they would knock over a ship that had very wealthy VIP passengers. They would take uh, all of those VIPs' personal valuables, and they would even you know, take the clothes off their backs and say, oh, I could sell this. I can make a, a ton of money on this. They would steal food because they needed to eat. They're also a working vessel at sea. They would take uh, whatever's in the ship's medicine chest, I read one really interesting story where there's like a uh, a fishing boat that gets knocked over by a much larger pirate ship, and all they take, dude, are the hats of the fishermen. The fishermen had other stuff. They had fish, you know. They're they're just a little boat of middle class fishermen. But the pirates had got super drunk the night before, and they rolled up on this on this boat and they said, "We are going to take your hats." Because we partied too hard and we all threw our hats in the water last night. So they would steal all kinds of stuff. You know, the stories of treasure get exaggerated a little bit. They also took rope, tackle, you know, nails, sails, anchors, all the stuff you need to run a pirate ship. But here's the question well, what do you do if you've got a bunch of hot items and you can't? go to port and sell them because you're a wanted man. Where do you go? Well, you mentioned those uh, those pirate hubs, right? Or those pirate havens. You know, you essentially needed what you might call today a fence. You know, you needed a place that would take your ill-gotten booty and essentially, I mean, uh, hold on to it. You know, while while things kind of cool down, right? Um, and potentially then move it for you, you know? But you also were, if you weren't in... Uh, one of these sort of safe spaces, you might likely have a price on your head or be, you know, on wanted posters and such. So you needed these places that you referred to earlier, Ben, as pirate havens. Uh, one such very famous one of these was a city called New Providence. Oh, yeah, yeah. There goes the neighborhood, right? Uh, this is located in the modern day Bahamas. And Spain had claimed the island of New Providence after Cristobal Colon, legendary pill, quote-unquote, discovered the New World. Eventually, the land changed hands, and England lay claim to it. If we go back to the late 1600s, there's a guy named Henry Avery. Henry Avery is a privateer who made a boatload, get it, uh, by plundering gold and silver and elephant tusk and gunpowder from these trade ships heading from India to, uh, to a local harbor. And he was able to bribe the governor of New Providence, of the English Bahamas at the time, a guy named Nicholas Trott, who is super important, by the way, in Carolina's history. Uh, he said, look, let me give you not just some gold, not just some silver, but this entire ship of elephant tusk and gunpowder. And Whoa. all you have to do, my bro, is let us operate safely here. Don't jam us up, Nick. Just don't no. jam us up. 
No. So in uh, 1696, Avery successfully uh, bribed the governor, um, Nicholas Trot, into establishing Nassau in the Bahamas as a haven where the pirates could do their business freely, you know, like uh, like Amsterdam in The Wire, you know, like a drug-free zone. Um, but this is like a crime-free zone. Uh, the governors would essentially, you know, go through the motions, doing their due diligence and, and act, you know, being uh, uh, stewards of the law and perhaps make some, you know, let's call them uh, ceremonial attempts to to stop or to, to shut down piracy. But it's really no different than, you know, crime syndicates paying off the police, you know, or anything like that. It really is just as simple as that. If there's money to be made and people are lacking in scruples, then um, these kinds of situations will thrive. A hundred percent, you know. And over time, as a result, that's what I mean when I say there goes the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The place goes into decline. The governors are increasingly authorities on paper only. The pirates are becoming more and more powerful. And I found a cool statistic about this. What you need to know is there's a bunch of civilian settlers and soldiers. They have a fort. Uh, French and Spanish ships team up and they attack Nassau first in 1703. And then a few years later, they come back and do the same thing in 1706. So a bunch of settlers and soldiers leave at this point. They cut their losses. Uh, There's a heavily damaged fort left and there are no soldiers there. There's no one to enforce the laws that existed even as this place was on decline. If you look at the statistics, by 1713, there were over 1,000 pirates in this community, and they far outnumbered the 400 to 500 people who were just regular folks. Yeah, this is what uh, you might call a hive of scum and villainy that's starting to fester over here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the main city becomes home to folks like Blackbeard, we mentioned earlier, pirates like Jack Rack. Benjamin Hornigold, which is just hilarious, and Samuel. Jack Rackham is pretty cool too. Fun mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys have good names, and they the these guys all use this island as a base. Uh, at some point, there were six hundred pirates, not just living there, but sailing from Nassau, who raided shipping and shipping routes and ports from the Caribbean all the way up to Maine. Uh, a couple of them even started calling themselves the governors of New Providence. We've got a great quote from a guy named Thomas Barrow. Uh, he is quoted as saying that he is the governor of Providence and will make it a second Madagascar and expects five or 600 more men from Jamaican sloops to join in the settling of Providence and to make war on the French and the Spaniards. But for the English... They don't intend to meddle with them unless they are first attacked by them. Okay. Uh, and this, you know, kind of worked out for a time. Uh, they, a bit, they, came yeah. up, they came up with a whole name. I wonder if this is where the Jolly Roger came from. Probably not. It probably was its own thing. That was more of a flag you'd fly at sea. But they did come up with a sort of, you know, name for their, their new institution. The Republic of Pirates. Because those two things go hand in hand. You know, law and order and governance and, and piracy. Uh, it did avoid attacking British vessels, though, right? Don't poke the bear. Word did get out about New Providence becoming the safe haven for pirates looking to have a good yo-ho-ho and, you know, kick back with some rums and all that stuff. Uh, and it was also a place that would essentially serve as a recruiting ground, right? 
Oh, yeah, this place launched some careers in the world of piracy. It was mostly run by a group of real hard cases who were collectively called the Flying Gang. The Flying Gang is a team-up that comes from a heist. In 1715, the Spanish treasure fleet sank during a hurricane off the coast of La Florida. Uh, And when a pirate named Henry Jennings learned that the ships had sank, he devised a plan, along with people like Benjamin Hornigold, who we mentioned, Samuel Bellamy, who we mentioned, and a guy named Charles Vane. And he said, look, the Spanish are going to try to salvage this. They're going to try to pull the gold out from these sunken ships. We're going to be there, and we're going to steal the treasure from the salvagers. They eventually called themselves the Flying Gang. And I'm trying very hard not to write parody lyrics for the flying gang to the tune of the crying game. But that's how, you know, that's how colonial powers were. They don't want no more of the flying gang. And to your point about people starting a career, Edward Teach, AKA Blackbeard, he gets his start here. Uh, so does Jack Rackham, uh, whose pirate name or street name was Calico Jack. And a lot of other people, including some female pirates like Mary Reed and Anne Bonny. Yeah, in case you guys are wondering, I'm over here uh, on Assassin's Creed Wikipedia searching all these names because all these people are in Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. So it's kind of good bit of nostalgia for me right now. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and I, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of the maritime aspects of Assassin's Creed, but what what a great universe they've built. And I enjoy, I enjoy a couple of the games having that museum mode where you can just walk around and look at buildings. Oh, yeah. I think that's the one set in Italy. Anyway, here's the idea. These guys, they do their heist. The pirates take their wealth, and Hornigold and his pal Thomas Barrow establish a new community on this island, on New Providence, and they set out to create a legitimate pirate republic. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac Bonneville. Yeah. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. And like you said, Noel, uh, honestly, a lot of these guys could be subjects of their own episodes. You know, um, what you need to know here is somewhere in a mostly neglected part of the Caribbean that didn't have a huge population at the time, some of the area's most dangerous people put aside their typical rivalries for a common cause. It's an Avengers of maritime crime, you know, heist on the high seas. And they start attacking everyone, except the, um, the British at first, right? So, by 1713, uh, the War of Th- that war of Spanish Succession, that's hard to say, Spanish Succession. To that's say. what the war was uh, about. I know, it was just literally about too many uh, sh- sounds. About uh, it was yeah. over, it had wrapped up, thankfully. They, they figured it out, they, they figured out how to pronounce it. Um, but many of these British privateers didn't get the memo we take for granted, like how many movies uh, are spoiled by the existence of smartphones. You like know, how many, problem. there's that thing, but even just like in general, like in in a thriller of some kind, like how easy would it be for someone just to have Googled a thing or to have the correct directions so they didn't get lost or, you know, for someone to be able to warn them, you know? And these days it was even worse, you know? They, they it would take months sometimes for word to reach uh, individuals who were out in remote areas, especially during wartime. So a lot of these privateers, uh, they did not get the news that the war was over. This is the kind of thing you hear about all the time, you know, in historical uh, situations where perhaps Perhaps an action is taken, often a tragic action, due to not realizing the circumstances had completely changed. A hundred percent, man. I'm glad you bring that up because it reminds me of uh, that Japanese soldier who didn't know World War II had ended right. for decades and decades. Uh, also, people who were enslaved in the U.S. who didn't learn about emancipation for quite some time. The travel of information 
the frictionless travel of information is probably one of the biggest wins of recent humanity or the thing that is going to spell the end of civilization. Maybe both. Maybe both. Maybe, maybe both. <laughs> so, um, and so these, uh, you know, a lot of these 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 uh, these privateers either didn't get the news or wouldn't accept it. Didn't didn't think that it was true. Um, so they, you know, slipped further and further into piracy, uh, which actually led to a lot of um, you know new blood uh, kind of being pumped into New Providence, right, to join that pirate republic and uh, and cause just an absolute boom. Uh, in in the numbers of pirates that were hanging out there. Yeah, exactly. And now New Providence is becoming a boom town, and it's not as unified as it was. Uh, this this place was only around, by the way, for a very short amount of time, a little over a decade. And over time, these pirates of New Providence, they stopped giving British ships a hall pass. A lot of these guys who were former privateers, like working for England, start attacking any ship they want, British or not. At their height, they're giving themselves titles like Commodore. They're commanding fleets of ships, and they can go toe-to-toe with the Royal Navy. Sometimes they can even outgun it, which is a huge deal because the Royal Navy is the big dog on campus at this point. Mm-hmm, that's right. And this starts to make me think of, again, perhaps I'm thinking more along the lines of some fiction, but this is when, you know, you start to see like things like in Game of Thrones, the golden compass or whatever, like these like armies for hire or even what we have now today with the uh, Wagner group, you know, over there in uh, in, in um, Ukraine uh, or in, in Russia. Um, the idea that a an independent group could become so large as to rival a an official military. Um, and even though, you know, right now they're at odds, there could come a time where for enough money, maybe you could hire some of these pirate crews to do your bidding, you know, who knows? Yeah, and at this point, you know, King George is starting to get a little beefed up because it was easy to ignore the crimes of these pirates as long as they weren't attacking the British themselves. But the British government was starting to get really concerned. They say piracy is so out of control that we're not getting British settlers into these colonies. And if the land is unpopulated, our foreign rivals may take it over. Uh, This is not a sustainable situation. So George makes the decision. He contacts a former privateer, and uh, makes him Governor Woods Rogers. And he says, Rogers, I want you to go over to New Providence, go over to this hive of scum and villainy, and tell them that I will give them a pardon. I will give them an act of grace, a king's pardon. This one is called the Proclamation for Suppressing of Pirates. Right. September 5th, 1717, pirates would receive amnesty, be forgiven of their trespasses. Uh, That includes murder. Um, Just so long as they surrendered by the next January 5th of 1718. So it's like a lot of blind eye kind of mentality, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, we're going to let you continue to operate outside the law, but we need you to agree that we're putting a clock on this because this isn't going to work forever for everyone, right? Yeah, they said, look, you will totally free pass, you guys. We've had fun. We've made some friends. We've plundered some ships. We've had some laughs. But as long as you surrender by this date, by January 5th, 1718, later they kick the can down the road, then it's all good. 
And Woods was the right guy for this job because he was a former privateer and slave trader. Uh, he spoke the cultural language of the pirates. And he did convince a lot of them to uh, take a square life. Uh, a lot of pirates accepted a pardon, but some refused to give up the game, notably folks like Jack Rackham and Edward Teach. The problem was these guys, to your point, they were living on borrowed time. Either the Royal Navy or local authorities would get them soon enough. The party couldn't go on forever. And we'll tell you what happened there, but before we do... Let's get to the, the heart of the question for today's episode. Was New Providence really a pirate government? Kinda. Yeah, kinda. I mean, they had people with specific jobs. I, like, they were organized crime, right? So the mafia has a hierarchy. They've got specific duties. They've got a code. Uh, what's the mafia code? It's not Omerta. That's code of silence, right? Oh, it's, it's the, I don't know, I just know, Cosa Nostra. Um, I don't know. I always thought Omerta kind of was the mafia code, but uh, maybe there's another one. Awesome. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they had, like, they had these rules, and just like the mafia, the pirates said, we need a code of behavior that will reduce internal conflict and maximize profits at the same time. Um, there's, there, you can find great examples of real pirate code. Uh, we got one from a guy named Bartholomew Black Bart Roberts. In 1722, he and his crew made a set of laws that are pretty... They're pretty interesting. Just put a few of these on here. They're, they're not all of them, but one of the ones that might surprise a lot of people is voting. Everybody got a vote on the ship, except hostages. And to jump back in one more time with Assassin's Creed, Bartholomew Black Bart Roberts is actually the secret villain of Assassin's Creed 4. Spoilers! He, he is, oh, a spoiler for a game that came out on PS3. Next, you're going to tell me uh, what happened at, uh, at Ford Theater. Oh god, yeah, no, but yeah, he's uh, he is. I forget what the, what his role is. He's the sage. Yeah, so I saw that name and I had to jump in here. I'm going away now. <laughs> no, let's give it. Let's do a max with the facts. But yeah, yeah, there we go. People could vote. Uh, you had actually more of a say as an individual on a pirate ship than you did in a Royal Navy. Pretty interesting, right? I mean, the, yeah, there was a certain amount of, of equity, right, in this arrangement where everyone was somewhat on an equal playing field. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, and I'm sure in practice, maybe, I don't know. I've actually heard, you know, uh, I think, Stuff You Miss in History class uh, may have done an episode on this back in the day when I was the producer of that show. And I do feel like they really took this stuff very seriously. The oh, idea of equality, you know, it wasn't just on paper. It wasn't like, it wasn't a do as I say, not as I do. You know, everyone lived by this code. A hundred percent, man. And they were surprisingly progressive in some ways. Uh, they also said in a lot of pirate code, they said, don't steal from coworkers. You know what I mean? Don't hoard stuff from the crew. Don't rob. If you rob a fellow pirate, you're going to have your nose and your ears split, and then we'll throw you ashore on like the worst island we can find. They said no gambling. Weirdly enough, this is oddly wholesome until you think about it. They had a curfew. They said every night you got to, at 8 p.m., you got to put out all the lights and candles. 
They said if any of the crew want to sit around and drink, they have to do it on the open deck without lights. And it's not because they were worried about their bedtime. It's because lights would help you identify a ship at sea. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the, like, you know, um, there's another term like that. Uh, cut of your jib, right? That, that, that was one. The idea of I like the cut of your jib refers to the cut of the sail on a certain ship so that you could be identified at sea. That's right. how you knew you that was a friend, you know, or a friendly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always assumed that jib meant like jaw or something like that. But no, not the case. And this is the case too. The idea of those uh, lights being a really important identifier. Um, next we have, st- this is a very piratey one, I would argue. Stay ready to Fight! <laughs> it reminds me of that, uh, that Russell Crowe bit on um, on South Park where he's fighting around the world, you know, like singing songs and something, some and fighting around the world. That's oh, very that's piratey. Right. Yeah, yeah. Always be ready for a fight. Each man shall keep his peace, cutlass and pistols at all times, clean and ready for action. We don't know when it's gonna pop off. You know what I mean? Stay frosty. Stay sharp, five by five. Uh, They also have workers' comp. They had an early version of workers' compensation. If you were crippled or you lost a limb or you had another very serious injury in your service with your pirate crew, you would get 800 pieces of eight. And uh, if you were less, if you were hurt less egregiously, you would get a uh, corresponding amount of money. That's pretty cool. There are many places and industries that don't bother doing that today. So that might surprise some people, uh, some of us with stereotypes about pirates. We're not saying they're good people. Uh, We know that pirate code also said, hey, the captain isn't necessarily a dictator. We on the ship can all take a vote. And if we don't like the captain or a leader, we can vote them out. And again, a lot of these guys are coming from the tyranny of working for merchant ships or the Royal Navy. This is super duper freedom for them. So from 1706 to about 1718, these scallywags, I would argue, they really did form, if not a government, a political entity because they adapted pirate code of the sea to become sort of the bylaws of their haven in New Providence. And they were also very, um, they were oddly progressive in terms of race relations for the time. Absolutely. That's another thing that always kind of had me a little bit flummoxed, you know, in addition to the whole workers' comp thing. I mean, they really were like some of the early kind of labor rights activists. It's very, very interesting. Another very interesting feature of uh, the Republic of Pirates, to your point, Ben, was the fact that Africans were considered equal members of the crew. And it's so interesting because we talked about how those privateers or originally, right, that was a big early form of slave trade, it would seem that what evolved and became maybe the, the the less lawful version of those pirateers that were operating outside of the rule of law were, in fact, much more humane <laughs> than those operating under the rule of law. I mean, yeah, imagine you're, you're attacking a ship as a pirate crew, and you come to find that it is not... Uh, it is not just loaded with, you know, like cinnamon and um, pantaloons and rum, but there are also enslaved people on there. You can be kind of a hero if you're one of the folks who say, look, 
all the captain, you know, all, all the other guys, uh, we're going to rob you blind. You who were enslaved, you can be free. You can join us. That's a hard thing to say no to. And we know that several, several people of American Indian or of uh, African background became pirate captains in their own right. One of the most famous is a guy called Black Caesar. Uh, and look, okay, so weirdly progressive. Pirates were surprisingly weirdly progressive. Back to our boy, Governor Woods Rogers. Rives in Nassau. He's got the king's pardon. He's pitching to people. One dude accepts, and he doesn't just accept. Benjamin Hornigold says, okay, I'll stop being a pirate. And Rogers says, well, you're a special case, my friend. He says, hey, Ben, if you want a new job, why don't you become a trader and help me hunt down all your buddies? And so Hornigold, like that, goes from being a pirate to a pirate hunter, and he's chasing down all of his former colleagues, anyone who doesn't take the king's pardon. Man. Put his Real money turn. where his mouth is. Yeah. This is, uh, what do you call in it? In case y'all were wondering, uh, Hornigold is very much a villain in Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Oh, good. I was going to ask. <laughs> he starts off the game, actually, he's like one of your mentors, and but no, it, it changes. You actually have to hunt him down at some point. You, he's a pill. He he's a pill in real life too, <laughs> but he didn't get everybody. Um, he got around ten other salty dogs on the morning of December the twelfth of seventeen eighteen. Nine of those fellas were yeah, they were executed. They were killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for piracy. And you you wonder if they got captured. I couldn't find the answer to this. Uh, maybe someone can help us. If those pirates got captured and they recanted their crimes, could they take the king's pardon right before they were executed? I don't know. I don't know. But like you said, Noel, uh, our buddy Benjamin Hornigold doesn't get everybody. The pirate hunters don't get everyone in New Providence. A lot of folks get away. Charles Vane, Blackbeard. They go on to pursue their villainous careers elsewhere in the Caribbean. Uh, and just like that, after 11 very strange years, the Republic of the Pirates is gone. And overall, as conditions change, the fortunes of the pirates in general decline in the mid-1720s, and they never became as powerful as they were for that brief time in the, in the 1710s. And along the way, you know, a lot of those guys can't live that demanding life as they age, but if they were smart, buccaneers and pirates and smugglers and privateers all had invested their gains. And so now these guys, a lot of them were no longer criminals. They owned plantations. They owned legit businesses. And there seemed to be a rule of imperfect law spreading throughout the Caribbean. And that's kind of that's kind of the story, but it, it is surprising, commune, man. It's so yeah. interesting. It's like uh, we started with all of this pillage and and and, and violence, and, and I, I'm going to come back to this thing that I think we were both taken by. The legal version of piracy is almost like is, is much more of a free for all than this version, at least, of the illegal version. Right? I don't know. It's it's, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we found for tangents and trivia that we might save for a future episode. I think we'll call it a day now. Oh, one fact we can say the eye patch wasn't always to cover up a damaged eye uh, because there were no electric lights and it could be dangerous to have a lot of lights 
inside a wooden ship. Uh, often the eye patch was used to keep one eye in the dark so that when you suddenly ran below deck, you could take the patch off and your eye would already be used to low light. No way. Yeah, that's oh, the way. Oh, you that's literally just taught me something brand new. <laughs> I assumed it was maybe for like sharpshooting, you know? Oh, like that really, makes uh, sense. Yeah. yeah, maybe. But I love this idea that it was to help, uh, you know, have your eye quickly already adjusted to the dark. That's very interesting. Or else they were all just very bad at not hitting things with who knows yeah who knows knows? uh we can't wait to uh we can't wait to explore more strange ridiculous things with you folks we want to give a big big thanks to our uh super producer and assassin's creed consultant mr max williams and noel i i gotta i gotta tell you i gotta ask you too if you had been press ganged into the Royal Navy <laughs> and a pirate ship came by and robbed your ship and said, hey, do you want to join with us? What would you do? I, I'd pee, pee a little, probably. <laughs> right. And then just say, whatever you say, sirs. <laughs> I'll, I'll be your stooge. I'll, I'll, I'll be your I'll be your shmee. Play nice until you can get to shore, right? Yeah. I'd probably be a bit of a Shmi figure. Uh, I remember Shmi. That was from Pirates of the Caribbean, right? I believe Peter Pan. Peter Pan. That's right. That's right. Another, another uh, classic. We could maybe do an episode on Peter Pan because that is a messed up origin story as well. Uh, it's Sad. a story for another day, though. Yeah. I think it's called what? Finding Neverland, I think is, oh, uh, that's is right, yeah. the, the book about it. It's very, very sad. But yeah, man, thank you for this uh, this pirate's romp, Ben, um, who, by the way, has also served as the research uh, executive on this particular ooh, episode. Ooh, so ooh. much cool stuff um, in the world of piracy that I, I literally learned like six new things today. So thank you. And big, big thanks to Jonathan Strickland. Oh, wait, are he, he only gets one. Um, keep that part in. Next. Uh, big, 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 big thanks, of course, Chris Rossio to Eves, Jeffco, Alex Williams, who composed this slap and bop. And big thanks to you, Noel. Uh, looks like, I, I don't know, I think maybe we stick with podcasting for now before Let's we do go full pirate. Hear me pirate radio. Let's try that. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. 
This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 